Welcome to Miked Up with Chiral Podcast, where I'm your host, Brandis Field. And I'm your co-host, Tim Bertelsman. And you're tuning into the one and only evidence-based podcast made by chiropractors and for chiropractors. Here's how it works. We'll have a new clinical topic that we dive into each month, and you'll leave with practical skills that you can apply right away. Well, that's contingent on who's giving the advice, and you'll want to take mine. <laughs> Let's dive in. Welcome to Miked Up with Chiral. You've got Tim and Brandon. Just a couple podcast reminders. This is podcast nine. In all honesty, uh, I didn't think we'd make it past four. Yeah, uh, no bruises either. No bruises. Well, we've been in the same room together for like an hour at a time, which is interesting because we practice next to each other, but we hardly see each other. We're never in the same room uh, duking out over um, the research and the, the fun things that we get to discuss in this podcast. Um, just a reminder, uh, it's always good to uh, to get a uh, review here and there for the podcast. We'd appreciate there. Share with a friend. We've seen a good growth in the podcast, uh, similar to the blog. And I think it's just another avenue to uh, understand where the chiropractic community is going and uh, if you can you know follow this episode and also take a look at our youtube page our youtube page has this stuff on there but it also has a lot of our videos a lot of our older webinars and the newer content we're putting out always goes on youtube to share it with uh share with everyone that we uh, we, uh, we 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 touch on a, a weekly and monthly basis um, as far as the um the blog today I want to start off with a dad joke. Now, we got away from the dad jokes uh, a little bit, and I'd like to, to bring back that segment. That's when the ratings went up. It, it probably is. Um, however, this is a, this was the one that actually got my wife to laugh, which hardly ever happens uh, with my jokes. However, what is the difference between a well-dressed man on a bicycle and a well-dressed man on a unicycle? You're going to get me on this one. I don't know. Attire. <laughs> that's, uh, and that's why we don't do dad jokes. <laughs> um, you know, they're just, uh, they, they just make my day. Um, uh, you know what? I've got one more. Uh, this is the one I told last night at dinner. Uh, what word begins with the letter E and ends with the letter E, but only has one letter in it? Um, I'm not going to get this one. An envelope. <clears throat> Glad you told that before dinner. It meant a lot more cleanup otherwise. All right. Let's 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 get into this talk. This this podcast is, I think, going to be one of my favorites. And that's being completely honest because we I love conditions. I love going over the assessment, evaluation, different conditions. We've gone over everything from disc problems to friction radiculitis to tendon problems uh, to shoulder issues. However, this is going to be a little less on a condition and a little bit more on a uh, an aspect of, of what we do as chiropractors and probably and historically and outside looking in probably the biggest aspect of what we do. And we're going to talk about uh, manipulation, but very specifically the audible sound that we get from manipulation. So we are going to cover that uh, at not at nauseum, but, but, but quickly, efficiently, effectively uh, give you the tools. They're going to help you have this conversation with yourself and also the conversation with other providers and the conversation with patients of what is it? Oh, and does it matter? Uh, does it matter to you? Does it matter to them? And does it matter to the, the body that you're working on? Before we dive into that, we have seen a, a pretty dramatic change in our practice, probably in the last three months. And we have dove back in full steam with MD marketing. 
And this is something vital to our practice. It always has been for the last 15 years, um, for you, 40 years. And this is something that we do on a monthly basis. In fact, in the last couple of months, been a weekly basis. And that's getting into doctor's offices, uh, talking with nurse practitioners and the staff and the medical doctors about what we do, how we do it, and by far the most important part um, is going to be what are the results that we get? How can we help them to get patients out of pain? So I want to dive into that just a little bit uh, before we get started with the condition and talk about why we saw seven MD referrals uh, just this week. There are five on the schedule for last uh, for yesterday. Uh, there's two already on the schedule today. We're not even working. Uh, that's that's the SD, uh, our associate uh, who's seeing those referrals. Uh, what is the importance of doing this kind of marketing, uh, Tim? Well, obviously, just the number that you said that seeing you know seven at the beginning of the week is a huge boost, um, and that's what fuels the practice. Those are also great patients. That those are the patients who are typically the most loyal patient. When we receive a referral from a PCP and nurse practitioner, that patient already knows that we've been vetted. They're willing to listen to our advice. They're willing to follow through with their care plans. And they typically get better. They're, they're good patients that have already been screened to be good candidates for us. So number one, it builds a practice, but it builds a practice with good patients. It also builds your reputation uh, in the community as someone who the MD refers to or the MD goes to. And we've built those relationships really through two tools. One of them is by going out and meeting the MDs. That the only way that you can get MD referrals is two things. Number one, a reputation uh, of getting good results. And number two, a relationship, which means that you probably have to meet that person in order to have the relationship. So every, as you said, every six months, we'll go through a uh, a cycle where we'll talk to the primary care physicians. We'll go out to their office and it's not so much a pitch about us, but it's just a pitch about them. That what do they enjoy treating? What do they not enjoy treating? What's going on in their life? And just building that relationship. It's the FOMA, you know, that's the little sister of FOMO. And FOMA is the front of mind awareness, or sometimes you hear TOMA, the top of mind awareness, a matter of staying in that provider's radar screen, that they, when they think of back pain, they think of you. Because think about the most frustrating patient that you have. It's the patient who's not getting better, that they're coming into your office, they're counting on you, but they're not improving. And that same frustration is taking place in the primary care physician's office. Unfortunately, it's for their number two presentation, lower back pain. They don't necessarily enjoy treating lower back pain. We know that chemicals don't usually solve mechanical problems, and they would love somebody. So getting into their office, letting them know, hey, we're an option for that. And if you need pointers on how to do that, on what that should look like as far as setting up a lunch, all the nuances, which are crucial, then go into uh, the Cairo Up Marketing Campaign under PCP Referrals or MD. Uh, marketing, and you'll see every detail. You'll see how to set up that visit, what's the script that you're going to use when you go into the office, how you're going to use the apps in order to set up those appointments for the newer systems. You'll see exactly how to uh, put together a checklist, how to make sure that lunch arrives properly, and what are the talking points? What are the icebreakers when it's time for you to deliver your pitch? And that's developing interest in you and your practice. Uh, I think that the other way of doing that is through newsletters. And you're going to see a lot of different companies that uh, give you pretty infographics and things to use to generate that interest. It's got to be you. It, it cannot be a, a letter of intent or, hey, we share patients. Here's a letter of everything that I do and all the degrees that I have. 
it's got to be a face-to-face meeting, buds refer to buds. And I think the that, that initial part is a touch awkward if you're not used to doing that kind of marketing. However, if you can get in there and you can uh, explain to them what you do for people and how you help them, it's going to be a pretty easy pitch. And then don't forget about the drip marketing. Uh, the drip marketing after that is the initial and release reports. So letting that person know that you're seeing their patients and uh, dispelling one of their biggest fears, you're releasing the patients. When they're out of pain, they're, they're done, they're out of there. You know, if you can give that, that provider the peace of mind, knowing you're delivering evidence-based information. I mean, we bring in one of the condition reports that we print off a of Cairo up and say, hey, here's what I'm giving your patients. It's not something off the wall, it's not something here brain. it's just here's your condition, here's what I'm gonna do about it, here's what we're gonna do about it. Here are the things that we're going to do in the office. And then you actually follow up with the right communication saying, hey, I saw your patient. Uh, I'm going to see them six times over the next two weeks. And then the the, uh, the release report of, hey, I saw them six times over the last two weeks and they're 90% better and they're back out of my care. Those are the kind of things that can uh, create just a relationship that's going to uh, help your patients for one and, and two, uh, boost your practice. And it's what changes MD referral patterns and attitudes that we know that the literature is clear that spinal manipulation is what should be should be implemented. In fact, even Annals of Medicine said that let's stop prescribing medication. Let's start using chiropractic. Unfortunately, I don't know about you, but I didn't see a big uptick in referrals from PCPs I when did. that yeah. <laughs> well, you're a little better. But when that that information comes out while it's available to everybody. There's one thing that trumps that, and that's personal experience. Unfortunately, that primary care physician's personal experience is they've only seen our failed cases, and we've only seen their failed cases. So we're trading failed cases, and we develop a biased view about what works and what doesn't work. The one thing that does work to change that attitude is letting that PCP know about every success. So every single patient that you release, make sure that that PCP gets a referral uh, and a release report saying, hey, I saw your patient six times or 12 times. They're 90 or 100% better, and at this point, I'm releasing them back to care. It dispels all the myths that are preventing them from referring to you, and the floodgates open. We are 10 minutes in. We've gotten through the first section, so we are, we're behind. So I'll finish up. <laughs> uh, random facts of the day is normally going over some, some tidbits that we find in the research review section. And the research review section, for those of you who are not familiar with Cairo Op, uh, is the, the behind-the-scenes working of this section is unbelievable. You've got four chiropractors. You've got, uh, what, however, 24 million articles on PubMed. You've got uh, somehow, and I don't even know how it all works, they can take this new information and get it into Cairo up uh, same day. You know, we're not seeing research articles from 2019 or 20 or 21. We're seeing what's happening in April of 2023, and we're going to see uh, the new research and how it affects your practice. However, I want to bring up a little problem with research, not the research review section, but research. And that is that new MDT study that came out. There's an MDT study came out. It came out last year uh, in the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. However, it said, um, and this is not, not quoted, but it said that really MDT is no better than standard care. And I, my blood pressure went up. Now, this is something that I think is unfortunate with research in that nothing works until it does. 
And what we see in a lot of the methods that we do, and the methods being the treatments that we have, whether it's MDT, um, whether it's factor or manipulation or uh, exercise or whatever it is, in isolation, rarely do any of those things work. Now, we see a trend. If you're looking at MSK care, non-surgical MSK care, uh, manipulation plus manual therapy plus exercise seems to be a pretty safe, effective option. Um, however, I really get upset when I start to see these studies because you take a, uh, a population of people and you say, ah, this, this treatment doesn't work. Well, the purpose when it comes down to MDT is categorization. It's not the treatment. It's how do you categorize patient? Do you have the right population? And when it comes to low back pain, it is a very dis, uh, diverse population of why they have their problem. And we saw the same thing happen in the shoulder this year, or this, this month in the research review section. Yeah. Uh, studies that almost seem con- conflicting that Annals of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation said that scapular mobilization really didn't provide any significant clinical benefit. And then Sports Health in the same month said that uh, using glenohumeral retraction and scapular stability exercises did provide benefit that improve rehab outcomes. So I think what we need to do is say, rather than, well, mobilization doesn't work and and stability does work, determine what's the demographic of the patient. That if you have somebody who's young and hypermobile, they probably need stability. If you have somebody who's older and hypomobile, they probably need mobility. And certainly that's not just for the scapula. It's looking at that patient and determining what's the best treatment for that particular instance as opposed to any global process. Yeah, so the, the number one thing that I want to get out of this section is that your number one evaluation is listening to the patient and understanding what patient you're working with, uh, looking at the demographics, looking at their history, looking at what's going on with the patient. Number two becomes mirroring that and confirming that with orthopedic testing, functional testing to make sure you know what you're working with. And then if you have to show any kind of, uh, show any, whatever the diagnosis on imaging, that'd be the, the third leg to that evaluation. However, you can't just provide one treatment to the entire population and expect great results. What? I know. I, I wish it, you know what though? In all honesty, one of the downfall. <laughs> It's a great, a great little quote, a little snippet for the podcast. One of the, the downfalls, the chiropractic is manipulation works so well that it does. It, it, it's safe and it's effective and it gets things moving, takes away pain. And we're going to talk about that really in the next section. However, unfortunately, you can get pretty complacent just doing that. Um, and not that that's just doing that. There's a lot of art and science that goes into that. However, I don't want to dig myself in the hole, but man, at the end of the day, um, it works really well for a lot of patients. The problem is when it doesn't work well for every patient. Uh, we really have to dive deep and then figure out, is this, part, is this one of the tools that I can use for a patient? And can I use other tools or other pieces of education or manual therapy or exercise or dry needling or whatever it may be to help get the person out of their problem faster? So we've rambled on long enough as far as the intro. Let's yes, dive we into, have. Let's dive into this because this is, this is going to be one, one of the two bigger blogs that we've done for this year was on manipulation and more specifically the audible sound, the, the pop essentially. Uh, does it matter? Does it matter to you? Does it matter to the patient? And what is it? What is that popping sound? I think that this is one of those things that um, I actually enjoy <laughs> as, a, as a provider delivering the pop. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's just soothing to me. Um, however, let's get into the, the details. And the first one being what causes joint cavitation? 
Well, we have no idea uh, as far as the science isn't definitive, but we do have an idea that there are prevailing theories. And the, one of the prevailing theories is tribonucleation, which means that when we distract a joint, we basically decrease the pressure on top of that fluid, allowing the vapor bubbles that are trapped within that fluid to escape and coalesce into a single bubble. And that's the cavitation. There's a whole paragraph of information you're supposed to cover. But in all honesty, that's it. You know, and not, not that that's, that that's, it's a big process. Uh, that's a, a big thing that's happened in the body. A lot of physics happening in that, but that's it. Um, we're creating a bubble. Now, there are some other theories that it's the collapse of the bubble or there's multiple mechanisms. But when it comes to that cavity formation, it makes the most sense. Uh, it explains most everything, and that's the theory we're going with right now. It also explains that 20-minute rule, that if you crack your knuckles and then you try to crack your knuckles again, why can't you crack your knuckles again? Um, it's because that gas bubble has to now disperse back into the fluid uh, before you're able to perform uh, that manipulation or that, that, that sound again. Uh, so as far as getting that sound, that's how we do that now probably the bigger two questions. The first one being, uh, as far as a provider, as far as a, uh, a chiropractor, physical therapist, someone performing, performing manipulation, uh, doesn't matter if you get that sound. Yeah, that's the big question. And that's the question that is crucial that we understand the answer and that we can relay the answer. So when we come back from the break, we'll tell you what research says about the POP and how to relay that information to your patients for better outcomes. As a chiropractor, do you grow weary of hearing well-intentioned MDs counsel their patients about the risks of spinal manipulation in spite of the abundant evidence to the contrary? Well, if so, it's time to take action with ChiroUp's Chiropractic Safety Toolkit. You'll get a webinar from Dr. Tom Machad and James Demetrius discussing the facts about spinal manipulation and stroke, as well as a patient infographic to quickly and accurately relay the facts about spinal manipulation. And finally, a blog that you can post on your site so that when somebody Googles spinal manipulation and stroke, they see the facts. But this only happens if you take action now. So visit chiroup.com, check out the resources tab, and download the chiropractic safety toolkit. All right, welcome back. So the big question before the break is, does the pop matter? So what does the research say about does it matter? Well, it depends upon how often you pop joints. That some chiropractic, this might be hard to believe, but there's differing opinions in chiropractic. Some chiropractors believe that the pop matters a whole lot, but other chiropractors don't believe it's not. In fact, many chiropractors use very effective techniques that have nothing to do with an audible cavitation. So there is no consensus about does the pop matter? That um, unfortunately trickles down though throughout our, our whole belief process that a lot of people who are HVLA oriented uh, believe that that popping sound is what really differentiates mobilization from manipulation. And we know the differences in the effective of those two treatments. There are a lot of authoritative sources that said that audible sop popping sound is really the primary characteristic of what joint manipulation is. And we as chiropractors know that if we're shooting for a, an audible release from the joint and we don't get it, we're disappointed. And we try a subsequent thrust, a second thrust, or a third thrust, or if you're new in practice, maybe a 15th thrust until you try to get that audio, audible release. But 
does it matter to us? And more importantly, does it matter to the patient? Well, to the patient, yes, it does matter. That 75% of our patients, according to one large study, found that they had a belief if it cracks, you know it's moved. Well, that's potentially a problem because if it doesn't crack, they believe it hasn't moved. And if they believe that their care is dependent upon the movement or upon the crack, either one of them, then that's an issue. So the patient wants it to move and they want to hear that sound. And I think that as a patient, I want I would want to hear it too. You know, that's one of those things that, you know, unfortunately chiropractic as a profession gets lumped into a <laughs> gets lumped into a treatment, which is manipulation. There's not many patients that come to see me and they're like, hey, I don't want to get manipulated. Uh, there are those patients that exist. Um, however, On the second visit, I've seen a lot of your patients who have said that. <laughs> for those who, for those who come back, um, I think that the patient belief aspect of this is pretty important, though. And I'm going to go a little bit above that and say, not only does the patient expect that, but the public kind of knows that about us. And so I do want to bring up something that. I think is very important to the success of our profession. And that is, yes, patients think the cavitation matters. However, as a provider, what I know is that if I don't get manipul- if I don't get the audible sound, there's something that I'm not accounting for. Because a joint that has restricted motion should be able to be pulled apart and to have better range of motion. So manipulation um, is supposed to uh, take a joint and it's supposed to um, uh, pull it apart or distract it. It doesn't change position. Um, However, after that happens, we're supposed to have better range of motion and decreased pain. One of the things that I learned in school is to get that pop. What has to happen? And this is how I educated my patients. It was, listen, Sally, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take your joint through active range of motion and passive range of motion. And we're going to hit this thing called the elastic barrier. And that's what I'm looking for. Do you have good joint play in that area? And if you don't, that means a joint restricted. Now, why it's restricted, I'm not going to dive into that. It could be a degenerative joint. It could be muscle guarding. It could be tissue problem. It could be multiple things. However, if the joint's not moving properly, I now, as a specialized steward of the profession, I'm going to take that joint past the elastic barrier and now I'm going to move into something called the periphysiological space, try explaining that to the lay population, and we're going to hear a popping sensation. Now, for those of you who remember the 1970s, him. Um, that was the that was the uh, the model posed by Sandoz. And listen, I'm not I'm not knocking on him. It was a great model. It got me through school. However, that's not necessarily the way things work. Uh, and the reason it doesn't work that way, and thank God it doesn't, um, because unfortunately, that's telling the patient that I'm taking a joint or a, a tissue and I'm taking it to as far as it wants to go and then I'm going to take it further. And as a 200-pound man jumping on you, uh, as far as doing a lumbar spine roll or manipulating your neck, that doesn't sound very friendly that you're taking a joint past where it wants to go. If you want to learn more about a new model, it's in the blog that we just put out, Does the Pop Matter? And check it out on Chiropa. Go through the actual model, have pictures drawn, that that periphysiological space happens within normal active 
and passive range of motion. This is a key point because we don't injure people. We know we don't injure people and the, the millions of manipulations that happen on a, a yearly basis in the, around the world, we know that we don't injure people. But it's important to know that this pop is not created outside the constraints of normal range of motion. I shouldn't say that. Uh, between the anatomical limits of range of motion. That the periphysiological space those of you who can't see me, but you're distracting the joint. You're pulling it apart. It's a motion that you can't do uh, regularly by yourself. It requires external force. Now, in my finger, I can do it because I can pull at the end of my finger and hear a pop. Um, however, in the back and the SI joints, it may take a, uh, a specific line of drive and a specific type of person to deliver that, that manipulation and hear that pop. Um, now, what happens when you don't get good range of motion out of a joint? If a joint stays restricted, it stays compressed for a long period of time, it starts to degenerate. And what we know from surgical studies is if you take a joint and you surgically fuse it together, what happens? Well, normally the back pain will go away because you're taking all that MSK uh, pain generators out of there. But what happens to the adjacent levels? Now we start to see degeneration and pain generators of the levels above and below. So I don't consider us as removing fusions of the spine, but we kind of are. You know, we're taking functional it. fusion. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think it's extremely important that we do get pops and cracks. Uh, while the literature does not support my my train of thought, that's my opinion. Uh, that I think that if we do get uh, pops and cracks from joints, it tells me it signifies to me that now that joint has free range of motion. Yeah, it's a Pavlovian response to you because you know that things uh, happened at that point in time. We also know that as long as you applied those same principles, the same type of treatment that would potentially create a pop, the good things are going to happen. That there have been five major studies that said, does the audible cavitation have anything to do with success? And they all said the same thing. No, the audible cavitation has nothing to do with success. The problem is that not all chiropractors have learned that, and the longer we're in practice, the less we believe that, which research tells us. But more importantly, not all patients have had have heard that. In fact, 31% of patients have had no education whatsoever about what manipulation or an audible uh, pop means. There's nothing that's been relayed to them about what to expect. And if a patient believes that joint cavitation is crucial for success, which unfortunately a lot of our patients do, that's 75% of our patients believe that if it cracks, it's if you hear the sound, that good things have happened. Well, that means if it doesn't happen, the nocebo effect is in play. And the opposite of the placebo effect, the nocebo effect means that you believe that something bad could happen or something good did not happen because of something associated with that intervention. So if a patient is believing that the pop is dependent upon their recovery and that you're necessary for their recovery, that you you're the person that's going to make that happen, your passive intervention, then they really need to understand that that lack of pop did not mean that something was missed in the, in the process. So the nocebo effect is something that evidence-based providers need to combat. We need to understand that that patient's biosocial psychosocial belief regarding cavitation will largely determine their outcome. There have been countless studies that say if a patient believes that manipulation and, and an audible release is good for them, they tend to get better when they hear that. And a patient who believes that it's bad for them typically does not get better. So that inconsistency of beliefs is something that we need to account for. This is sometimes difficult 
because at the end of the day, and you hear that question, the question is, did it go? Uh, is it back in place? It's a tough sell for me because at the end of the day, I'm like, yep, everything's good. Went back in place. I found it. It was way over here. Got it back in place. And you're going to feel great by tonight. Um, but in all honesty, that you have to answer these questions carefully. Because if you don't hear a pop um, and you start or you or you do, I would strongly suggest that we don't breed a population of patients that come in every day and want to hear joints being put it back in place because we know that's incorrect and it creates a perception of the profession and a perception of the treatment method that is incorrect. Also, uh, keep in mind that in that situation, they're depending on you to heal them. That pop healed them, uh, at least the perception of that. Uh, keep in mind that always deflect and, and, and make sure we know our responsibilities, meaning my job is to get things moving. And that's what I do as far as that's as part of manipulation. Your job is to keep things moving. And that's the part where we do the, the manual, um, or the, sorry, the exercise at home or the changes in ADLs. Um, and then we need to give tissue time to heal because it takes all of those things to help people get out of their pains or problems. So I think that's something that I think is extremely important to make sure that everybody has clear responsibilities when they leave the office. And it's not just dependent on the pop. So... I guess, how do we make that happen? Because I can have that conversation over and over again with patients. Just like I can give the same description to an exercise over and over again, and every patient comes back with a different idea on how to perform a cervical retraction after that. How do you combat this lack of understanding of what the pop is? Yeah, I think we have a couple of couple of options. That one, you know the joint moves, so you can say to the patient, yeah, yeah, it did, it moved, I felt it move. And they don't buy that any more than you buy that because they understand, oh, I didn't hear no pop, whatever. So you lose credibility in that case. Our second option is to let them know, look, we're not shooting for a pop here. The pop is the consequence of some good treatments. In fact, 74% of attempted HVLAs result in a pop. That means a fourth of them don't. That doesn't mean you're not going to get benefit. Those five studies said, yes, you're still going to get benefit. So educating the patient that, look, that pop is a consequence of an effective treatment, but it's not the sole indicator of an effective treatment. It's kind of like if you wanted to let the air out of a balloon, you could do that with a needle and there'd be an audible release if the balloon pops. But if you made a small tear in that balloon or just let the opening of the balloon out, that air is going to come out. And with each thrust or each movement that you do, they're going to be the release of air. We're still going to accomplish the same thing. We're stretching the joint capsule. We're getting some stretch of the associated ligaments and the muscle fibers. We're restoring mobility to a segment that had not otherwise moved. And the same thing has happened. And here's the research that says the same thing that's happened. So one of my jobs as your chiropractor is to let you know what my responsibility is, and that's to get a joint moving, not to make your joint pop. But more importantly, here's your responsibility to understand what happened and to perform your home exercises and your ADLs. When patients understand that, we don't have to make up, did it move or not? Oh, sure, it moved, Mary. We can, we can teach them exactly what happened. So getting into the new research aspect of, of, of the podcast, this is one thing that is often overlooked. Now, overlooked by the people in Cairo, but often the, just the entire profession. Uh, we have a section called the research review section. And I was um, shocked because I thought uh, Dr. Burleson was playing a trick on me. There was a, a condition in there that happened to be uh, part of his name. And I was like, he's, what is the, he's just making stuff up at this point. Um, it was but, a slow day. 
in all honesty, uh, Tim and I used to do the research review all by ourselves. Um, and now we have a team. Uh, we have, we have four chiropractors who, uh, sift through and mine out the, the best articles that are happening just this month, uh, in PubMed. And, it allows me the freedom to not look to Facebook or for me to have to dive into journals. Uh, now I can just look at this research feed and I can see what are the best evaluations and best treatments. And, and the number one thing is that the clinical pros are going to help me treat patients better. Uh, they're putting in hundreds of hours per month to make this happen. But I, I, And we have, uh, you know, Terry Alder has been uh, crucial in development uh, of this and, and keeping us up to date. We've just added uh, Dr. Michael Brachio, who's uh, significantly helpful helping uh, getting that information out and even the uh, the Facebook post out. Uh, we uh, we help get the mission of what chiropractors do out better to the public through giving them what chiropractors do, the things that we can help with through Facebook posts. But let's talk about this one because this one threw me for a loop and I'm probably not even going to say it right. Uh, Bertolotti syndrome? What is that? Yeah, that's what I would say. That Bertolotti syndrome basically means you have a transitional segment at the lumbosacral junction. And what the research said is that the adjacent segments are going to be more likely to degenerative change, especially L4-5. And what's not important here is the name Bertolotti syndrome. What's not important is to understand exactly what that means, what type of transitional vertebra. What is important is that it reinforces what you and I do every day. If a segment has abnormal mechanics, bad stuff is going to happen in the area. The whole region is going to pay, and vice versa. So what you and I do to restore motion to segments that don't work, those functional restrictions, whether it be hypomobility or hypermobility, getting a segment to work the way that it should has a long-standing effect on that patient's quality of life. And I think that's what's important. We really do try to boil that research down into usable things, that we're not interested in what Bertolotti syndrome is. We're interested in the big concepts of what can we do to become better chiropractors. But in all honesty, that's that's one of the things that a patient starts to, they come in the office and they start talking about Bertolotti syndrome. And I'm like, oh, yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how long and, do you have? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Are you getting chemo? <laughs> I mean, that's just, a, it's just you, you don't know what it is. Uh, and that happens all the time, and it, 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 usually not in musculoskeletal diagnoses. Um, however, that's something that, you know, hopefully you can dive back into ChiroUp or go in the research review section, search, and you're going to find every research article that's been put out in the last several years on that condition or that problem. Uh, also keep in mind just what, what Dr. Burleson said is that whenever you have those adjacent uh, level issues, uh, things are going to be going down chain. That's one thing that a lot of other providers um, don't see. They, they see the problem with the knee, but they forget about the ankle and the hip. They see the problem with the hip, but they forget about the back. Uh, so always take a global approach. I tried to do that once. Uh, and I wrote a blog on knee dorsiflexion. For those of you astute listeners, that isn't even a thing. However, um, and that's kind of a theme of your blogs. I know. It? It, I, well, I try to make a connection, try to a little trickery in there, and I'll tell you what, it was a flop. We measure everything here, and that one went nowhere. Um, however, ankle dorsiflexion and knee pain are, are closely related. So finding those key linkages, and the reason that's important is because when someone, in that case, someone with knee pain is coming in, you fix it, and they go back out to running, and then it comes back, and it comes back, and it comes back. Uh, take a take a more of a global approach and maybe find something else could, that could be the, uh, the weak link or the, the problem in the kinetic chain that's leading to that dysfunction. Um, finally, let's go into the new stuff in Cairo Up. Uh, anything new happening? Well, uh, as we speak, the new stuff is that Adrian, your success manager, is walking in the door with some cupcakes. So that must mean somebody's getting older, and I know it's not me. Uh, so happy birthday, Dr. Steele, on that one. 34. It's going to be a tough year. Next year's 35. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's when things start going downhill at that point in time. Uh, so Adrian, that's uh, she's not new. She's been around for a while, but she is an awesome resource for all the subscribers out there. If you have any questions about how to use any of the functionality, she is the friendly face and friendly voice that will help solve your problem. She's awesome at that. So that's one new stuff is the cupcakes. Uh, we also have the pop infographics. So if you'd like a written version of how to explain to your patients to do your job for you, not do your job, but to help you uh, supplement your job, to make it easier, those resources that can speed things up, much like we had put the uh, mattress infographic that you know when somebody says, Doc, what kind of mattress should I get? Well, there went five minutes of your life. And if that happens once a month, that's a few patients in the end of a year. So we put together an infographic that was crowdsourced information from 200 subscribers, how to recommend the right mattress. So check out the forms library and you can um, you can either put in pop in the search bar or mattress. You'll find those new infographics. The other thing is that on your main menu bar in Cairo Up, you should now see a tab by the time this podcast comes out that says uh, marketing resources. And in those marketing resources is where you can access your social media posts for plus uh, subscribers or the MD, the patient or the attorney newsletters for the premium subscribers. And if you want to know what those are, check out that marketing resources tab and that'll show you exactly uh, where to head for those things. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. You know, if you enjoyed listening to this kind of stuff, hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Uh, by following, you're always going to know when we release a new uh, new piece of information, new piece of content, new podcast, and uh, and you have access to the entire library uh, of episodes. They all follow a very similar uh, pattern as far as the things that we try to cover. This one was a touch different with covering more of a theory um, as compared to a diagnosis. Um, however, uh, I look forward to. Uh, Put them together in the next one and see what we can uh, we can talk about. I'm looking forward to the birthday party and I see some helium balloons. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next month. Hey, thanks for listening. To access more information, visit ChiroUp.com. You can sign up for a 14-day trial. Use referral code PODCAST15 for a special discount after your trial. Offer valid on new subscriptions only.